Welcome to the Guernsey Daily, I'm Ollie Gear. And I'm Rob Byrne. We've got candidate interviews every weekday and a taste of what's going on across the island in the build-up to the historic 2020 election. We aim to be as fulfilling as a chippy on Kobo Beach at sunset. Hopefully more authentic than the filming location of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. And as fiery as that incinerator we heard a lot about but never came to fruition. You fiery, Ollie? Never. (laughs) Coming up on today's episode, we find out what Guernsey's Institute of Directors wants from the next government. The Covid crisis has informed many of the IOD's priorities and Vice Chair Wendy Dory says there's only a small window of opportunity to act. The window will close quickly so we need to act now and I think there's a real urgency in the, in the need to act now. I think doing nothing probably is no longer an option. Also we'll hear from the island's top politician who's campaigning to keep his job as Chief Minister. Yep, Gavin St Pierre hinting that GST or other tax rises might not be the solution to the island's economic recovery. Any debate about um, uh, thinking that we can either tax our way out of this or indeed cut our way out of this is is just missing the mark completely. More from Deputy Gavin St Pierre shortly. But first Rob, we're only a few days away from voting so I gather you're keen to uh, test out my knowledge of the field again. <laughs> Hopefully it's improved. I can't promise anything. Yeah, we're going to put you through your paces with true or false. Um, a slight twist this time round though. I'll tell you what it is, all. It's it's to do with uh, candidates we've not heard anything from on the podcast. That's the Alliance Party who've invited to take part, uh, but haven't heard back from. And so I thought it'd be good to do a selection of Alliance Party statements, some of which are true, some of which are false. And you might have noticed in the combined manifesto booklet that they have the same six uh, election pledges under the manifesto. So every manifesto has the same six points on the economy, education and whatnot. Um, So I thought it would be good to delve into their uh, online presences and see if I can find out a bit more about them and, you know, get a bit more of a flavour for them as candidates other than just what's in the same copy and paste part of the manifesto. Okay, so first up, I'm an Alliance Party candidate and I became the first person to drive a historic sports car around the world in 80 days. What an achievement. Hmm, that's a historic sports car. The first person? I reckon that's yeah. true. Well, yeah, it took, uh, that's crossing four continents and 22 countries. And yeah, it's correct. That is amazing. I'm Barry, <laughs> uh, according to Barry Weir's website, uh, he did that in the year 2000 at the wheel of his wife's 1954 Aston Martin DB2 stroke four, whatever that is. I feel like uh, <laughs> must have been an absolute mission of breakdowns and blown out tires on, on a car that old. It, I mean, even my 1997 Ford Fiesta uh, could barely get around Guernsey, let alone doing 80 days <laughs> to go around the whole world. Yeah, well, if you want to read more about it, it's all on uh, Barry Weir's website in the third person, uh, where he uh, calls himself a true world rally driver. Um. Okay, so number two, I'm an Alliance Party candidate and I took to Facebook to say, let Gav the Chav finish what he started with running the island. Let's see how they like that outcome. That being Deputy uh, Gavin St. Pierre, by the way. Yeah, who's, uh, yeah. Our next guest. It's a, it's, an, it's, a, it's a nickname he often goes by. He, he even touts it himself. Gav the Chav. I think, oh, that is, no, that's, that's too much. That is too much. That, that's false. Believe it or not, Ollie, that is true. 
that was posted <laughs> by uh, an Alliance Party candidate called Jane LeBear on Facebook in early September. No, I'm I'm quite amazed by that, to be quite honest. He's very chavvy, isn't he, our chief minister? Um, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, n- n- number th- number three. So I'm an Alliance Party candidate, and I think uh, what this island needs is badgers. No, that that can't uh, well, be true because well, hang on, mo- hang most on. of the. Well, okay. no, let me explain. There's a rationale behind this. So I don't know if you know that Guernsey has a very large vole population, and you know the little sort of mouse things and. Badgers would be natural predators to voles, and um, it would help sort of restore a bit of equilibrium. Often there are bird strikes at the airport, and that's because the birds are feeding on the voles. So you don't want birds, but if you have badgers, badgers won't get sort of, you know, they won't end up in the engine of a plane. So Yeah, but we have prized Guernsey cows, and badgers uh, are, are known to give TB to cows, right? So uh, Well, I mean, yeah, but, but, yeah, it's a bit of an aside really, isn't it? <laughs> there's no way anyone would bring badgers in and infect all our cows i think that's false you're correct yeah you've seen through me there all uh that, <laughs> that was not a statement uh by a member of the alliance party just to be clear question number four i am a member of the alliance party and i'm so fed up with the status quo i tweeted the assembly should be around a quarter of what it is already um I say there's too many politicians being paid silly money for doing nothing. Let's have 10 good people working for free as well. Yeah, because, you know, they used to be um, used to work for free, didn't they, deputies? Those were the days. They they, they used to work for free. That is that. I always I always find that quite a funny sort of comment because who who does anything for free these days? (laughs) Well, we make this podcast for for free, Ollie. Oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're idiots, um, <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I'd like to are. think the people elected to be politicians in Guernsey aren't. Um, I would say that does. I mean, it sort of rings true with messages from various people actually in terms of reducing the size of government. Ten people and free seems a little bit low and and a bit odd, but I reckon that's true. No, it's false. That is not ah. a statement by a member of the Alliance Party. That is something I've just made up. Um, right, let's um, <laughs> let's go on to the final one. So you've got uh, you've got two, right? Have you so far? No. Yeah, two. Two. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think three out of five is respectable. So let's see if you can get this one. Now, Ollie, uh, I'm uh, speaking as an Alliance Party candidate here. Um, I don't know if you remember this chap, David Noakes. He was in Guernsey for a while selling a drug called. Uh, GC Math, um, which he said could cure all sorts of uh, different things. And I've taken to Facebook to share an update on what I think is his persecution. On Facebook, I write, so many people have been helped by this, but pharmaceutical companies keep surpassing it uh, as it will cost them millions. So this quite That's enough. It is another tough one because there was huge controversy, not just because of... Um, the, the fact that there weren't enough trials on GCMath, but actually the fact there were a lot of people who swore by it um, and, and said it did, and it said it did work. So is it is it crazy to think that that could be true? Is it true? It is true, yeah. So the candidate in question is uh, Ken Smith, who's an Alliance Party candidate, and a scroll through his uh, Facebook a page was uh, quite illuminating in between sharing posts about the Wayside Cheer, one of his uh, businesses that uh, he was promoting on there. 
were links to the First Immune website. That's David Noakes's old website that he shared, and a and a petition to end his imprisonment when he was in prison uh, for a short while. Uh, I believe he still is awaiting trial in France now after serving a sentence in the UK. Also on his uh, Facebook timeline, comments that he wanted the states and the media to lighten up a little and explain the facts on COVID-19 back in April. In May, he shared one of those sort of copy and paste posts saying things like, I won't wear a face mask, gloves or social distance. I won't get tested if I show COVID symptoms and things like that. So I think it's pretty clear from his post, there's certainly a distrust of the mainstream media there. We've not had uh, Ken on. We've invited uh, the Alliance Party through their main email address to see if their candidates want to come onto the podcast. They're certainly welcome to take part in the show, whether that's uh, as a guest, if they wish to. In fact, we're going to do a, a, a debate of the three parties, or we're planning to, and it would be great to get a spokesperson from the Alliance Party there. Um, if you want to get in touch, we'll have the details of how you do that later in the podcast. Up next, it's Deputy Gavin Sampier, the island's top politician looking to reclaim that spot for the next four-year term. So we're in Sir Charles Frossard House, uh, the office of Deputy Gavin Sampier, who's Guernsey's chief minister and seeking re-election. You'd quite like to be back in here uh, in a month's time. Yeah, I mean, I've always been very transparent about my um, uh, objectives in terms of the role I would like after an election. I, I was in 2012 when I said I'd, I was standing in order to become the Treasury and Resources Minister, and again in 2016 when I said I wanted to be the President of Policy and Resources, and I have done so again uh, this time to say that I will be seeking re-election um, as the President of Policy and Resources if I'm lucky enough to be re-elected. And I think that is relevant and pertinent information for electors. And, and a factor that they may wish to take into account whether they wish to support me or not. Presumably you're announcing it because you think it's going to be a positive thing for your campaign. Uh, no, I'm genuinely announcing it because I think it's relevant. And, and as I say, I think it's, it, it is for the electors to decide whether it is positive or negative for them. Um, but, I, but for me, um, it, it, it would be disingenuous to say uh, I am fighting this election and I will be placed wherever I'm most needed or wherever um, uh, the cards fall. Um, let, let's be transparent. And that's what I've been doing. In terms of you being chief minister and seeking re-election at the same time you're in your office presumably today because there's work you need to do in terms of running the island yeah in fact today um today is a is a day off completely from the election campaign um there's there's uh, the ongoing covid situation in the uk obviously drives um a, a series of uh, decisions that need to be made in relation to Guernsey's um, management of the, the, the ongoing pandemic. Uh, and also, um, we are right in the middle of the uh, UK-EU future relationship negotiations, and Guernsey uh, needs to feed into those um, to enable and inform the UK's position. So that is obviously a very live issue, uh, particularly, of course, in relation to the protection of our, our, of our fishing uh, grounds and our fishing industry. So there's there's quite a lot going on, um, which isn't going to wait for uh, an election or the outcome of the election, and it needs to be dealt with. And um, so yeah, that falls into my my lap um, so long as I'm in this office. And fishing is that's you know that issue has cropped up. Obviously, a report about you know the potential for EU access to Channel Islands waters, or more preferable terms, perhaps. 
than there are already. Uh, can you tell us anything on, on what's the latest on, on, on those discussions? I can't give you an update on uh, where those discussions have got to because it, it, it's subject to the, the you know, future rounds of negotiation, yeah. which are obviously drawing towards a close, I guess, in terms of the clock ticking down towards... Um, the UK Prime Minister's deadline of mid-October. Um, the, the the position is incredibly complicated in relation to fishing. Um, so it's no surprise, if you like, that it's become one of the major stumbling blocks between the UK and the EU. And then you bring it down to the Channel Islands waters and you've got different positions between uh, Guernsey, uh, Alderney and Sark, obviously with their own fishing rights, uh, and then you've also got Jersey with the Bear Granville Agreement uh, setting up a different relationship with their neighbours as well. So it is an immensely complicated picture, but I think our position is relatively clear at a, at a sort of policy objective level, which is the principle should, uh, the, if you like, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. The EU's position is that the uh, Crown dependencies cannot emerge from this uh, process of exiting, of the UK's exiting the EU in a better position vis-à-vis -vis the EU than they were uh, under Protocol 3 uh, in relation to the movement of goods and people and all the rest of it. And I think that that same principle clearly applies to fishing in the sense that the, uh, the EU's um, rights in relation to uh, our fishing cannot emerge in, uh, any stronger than they were when uh, the UK was part of the EU. So it's, it, if you like, it's a perfect, um, uh, it's a mirror mirror position of the of the EU's position in relation to ourselves. So it, it's very logical, um, but we have to sustain that through the final rounds of the negotiation. When something like this crops up, and you're also have having one eye on on seeking re-election. Has this hindered in any way, for example, your your ability to get out and speak to islanders in terms of your campaign? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, the you know the day job has to be the priority um, because that's the responsibility I've taken on. And as I say, it's, it, it, the the, the um, election must take a back seat um, when there is a more important priority to, to, to deal with. Um, you know, I, I think the reality is, um, I suspect that. You know, ninety-five percent of the population uh, aware of who I am now, uh, and probably ninety-five percent of those who do know who I am have probably d d determined whether they are likely to support me with a vote or not. In any event, if they are going to be voting, so um, in a sense, my campaign has been much more about the bigger picture of the relationship with the Guernsey Partnership of Independence and um, seeking to um, build a core of. Um, uh, within the, the states that is capable of delivering you know, more decisive and effective government the other side of the election. So uh, I, I'm probably, in, a, in that sense, uh, fighting a slightly different election campaign than, than many other candidates, I suspect. Yeah, I, I think most people would, would agree with that. Um, how is it going with the Guernsey Partnership of Independence, do you think? Um, it, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult um, and different election to the previous two that I have fought. Um, a parish-based election is uh, clearly smaller in terms of scale, um, and actually the ability to get out and tread the streets um, ensures that you, there is a, if you like, there is output from you being busy by, by doing that. This is it's difficult to, t to take the temperature of the public in quite the same way. Um, I, I think there is frustration from candidates that they are unable to get to as many of the electors and indeed vice versa. Um, the, the electors clearly um, are, are feeling a, a loss of contact, in, in particularly with the, the, the loss of the traditional parish hustings. My contact with electors suggests that, that there, is, uh, a, you know, there is widespread 
um, concern at the scale of the, 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 the number of candidates and the number of votes that need, need to be used, potentially need to be used to filter those in, in terms of a final ballot paper um, by, by any individual elector. And um, so I think everybody recognises the scale of the challenge. My concern is that we don't end up with high levels of abstentionism and, and people um, sort of giving up. I think people, I'm hoping people will stick with the programme and, and work out what they want to do and, and vote one way or another. And, 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 and they've still got, of course, depending on when the, your podcast is broadcast, may have time to register for a postal vote. Um, <laughs> And, and, and to do so by post. But I think in terms of the uh, engagement I've had, I think there is a clear understanding of what we are trying to do with the partnership. Um, but I think we'll only know whether people have truly understood that once we get the results in just under two weeks. And why did you, I, I can infer, and I know from your uh, what you've said publicly in the past, that you're no fan of island-wide voting. And you were kind of on the fence as to whether you would even start a, a political grouping or a party We'll get on to whether it is or isn't a party in a moment. But why did you end up deciding that this was uh, something that could be positive and could make a difference? Yeah, I, I mean, I have I flirted with island-wide voting as to whether it was a way of achieving more organised politics and, and more policy-based um, politics than um, than our system uh, currently permits. The, the I mean, the genesis of this is, is three years ago, Deputy Heidi Salisbury and I looked at um, the creation of policy-based political parties. It, it really is a response to the fallout from the education uh, uh, debacle at the time and you know, trying to build something that was more based on values and behaviours. Um, and our engagement with the public at that time really sh- showed us from the several meetings that we had that there was not a depth of um, uh, appetite from the, the ground to ensure that uh, that you could build a, a a political party that had roots in the community. So it was really from the benefit of that experience, we, we felt that a top-down approach, in other words, a group of politicians saying, here are the policies, as opposed to the community saying, these are the policies we would like, um, was was never going to have the same longevity. Um, and that's why we t- have taken this different approach, which is really focusing on, uh, on individuals and, and focusing on... Um, their ability to function and work as a team uh, rather than seeking to identify policies. Do you think people get that though? Um, I, 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 think they, I think they do. I think they understand the challenge. I think they, uh, the, perhaps the nuance that we have is that we have sought to identify our policy priorities because I think one of the challenges in the last political term has been to properly prioritise. So by us saying that these are the things that we want to achieve in relation to the next term, um, we now need to go away working with each other and indeed whoever else is elected to deliver those policy the, those policy priorities. We need to work out what the policy solution is. But at least we know what the framework is of, of, of the most important things that we want to sit down and deal with over the next four years. And I think people do get that. Um, and the reality is, is that, that all the, uh, the, the all of those standing, whether they're in a party or not, are going to need to to work with others. There is no prospect of any of those um, standing, any of the other parties standing, being able to deliver their manifestos because they will not have a majority in a in a um, traditional political system sense because uh, they don't have enough candidates. So in, in in that sense, it, it is only an opening position in relation to how you you then engage with others. Uh, and I think our position is, um, is is consistent and transparent with that reality. 
You mentioned there you touch on the the fact that no one party would have a majority. Um, well, you're f- putting up 21 candidates. Um, do you think that one thing that we've sort of encountered on the podcast and in terms of speaking to other candidates and voters is that there is a degree perhaps of suspicion towards parties or groupings because it's something new, it's something different. Uh, how do you go about overcoming that? I think there is suspicion and concern largely because, of course, people are also informed by what they see in relation to national and international political systems uh, and what they see elsewhere they don't particularly like. And so they they can't imagine wanting to translate and import that into the the, the Guernsey uh, political system. I think the reality is is also um, the Guernsey electorate and having been part of it for many years myself can recognize this that to some extent we're, we're all a bit schizophrenic in terms of the way we choose to vote we want uh, we want a candidate who's going to um, display uh, you know a particular view but then often say well actually we'd like to balance that and have you know somebody else who has a you know has an opposite view um, so if you like we what I'm really saying is is our system because of the number of votes we have does allow us actually to vote inconsistently um, and of course, when the assembly is then built uh, on the back of that in, in, inconsistency at a at an island level, then perhaps it's no surprise that it struggles to function in a coherent and consistent manner. So, um, in a sense, we as a community have created this uh, our, the political system that in, that has guaranteed and ensured um, a you know slow pace of, slow pace of change and a. Um, and and uh, the revisiting of policy and all of those things that that um, are um, you know, often criticised, but of course they're often also seen as being a strength in terms of ensuring that the, the, there isn't uh, you know, rapid changes of policy direction um, in in the way that we see elsewhere. So, as I say, I think I, I think as a as a community we are a bit inconsistent in what we think we want from from our political system, and we and we help deliver that in the way we vote. And what about the partnership itself? Would more transparency over how it has formed and how you've selected members and, uh, you know, what your plans are within government? Because people look at the pledge and they often think, well, you know, uh, I think that's everyone. That's what everyone could aspire to. Would that that help win people over do you think? Well I'm happy to be very transparent about the way we've been formed I mean as I said the genesis was a conversation between uh, Heidi and I uh, some time ago that then started to um, it, it, over a period of time really to, as I say two to three years as, yeah. as, as involved a number of other people. And in terms of selecting candidates? And in terms of, 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 of candidates it, it has been an iterative process of discussion um, particularly in relation to the new candidates standing, of course, we have out of our sixty, uh, out of our sixty-one, out of our twenty-one candidates, we have six new, uh, entirely new candidates standing, uh, and we felt that was important to have that diversity, that blend of new blood, if you like, into is the that, system. Is that cynical, though? You know, because people would look at perhaps some candidates and say, "Oh, well, you've got them on board because they tick this box or that box." Um, you know, what would you make of that criticism? I will. Um, we were intentionally seeking to build diversity in in our in, in our group. We wanted a spread of age. We wanted uh, to have uh, as many um, uh, female candidates as we could have. 
and uh, to, to represent as broad a section of the community as we could and as broad a political thought as we could as well. So the, the, the political spectrum is very la large and that was intentional uh, and we've never shied away from that. So yeah, so but the, 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 we, we've talked to more candidate, we've talked to more individuals than our candidates. Uh, some of those individuals uh, we didn't feel were, were right for us. Some they didn't feel that we were right for them. Um, some have walked away entirely. Some have have, have gone on to stand uh, as candidates in their own right. So you know, there the has it, the, the process has been uh, ha has been going on for for a number of months. Um, but what I'm confident about is that we have built a group of people, whilst they are diverse, while they do have different political thought, are capable of um, working together. But most importantly, they're capable of disagreeing in the right way, because that's the most important thing in politics, is not whether you agree with somebody, it's how you disagree with them, but then go on to move to deal with the next issue without that disagreement impacting that next issue. That's the most important thing, and that's what we've delivered is, is a group that can, can work in that way. So when it comes to disagreement uh, within your, your grouping, I mean, are there any, any examples where you, you, know, you could say, uh, we're in a formal alliance with this person, but we fundamentally disagree on a certain issue? Oh, I mean, there'll be loads of examples of those, whether it's you know, looking back at the last uh, state, the last states in terms of some of the voting records on, for example, the reform of abortion law and um, assisted dying. You'll have people on both ends of, of, on opposite ends of that debate. If you th look forward in relation to um, uh, to uh, the, the future discussion of education and finally reaching a conclusion on that, you will have some who are uh, very committed to a particular model. Um, again, uh, not necessarily the same model. Um, so uh, th there is disagreement there. If you look at tax policy, I know there will be strong views on tax policy which won't necessarily be aligned. So we are absolutely fully prepared and understand that uh, we have candidates who have different views, but it doesn't worry me one iota because I know that once we reach uh, a majority decision in the states of deliberation, those candidates will get behind that decision, even if they're, they're on the wrong side of it, and they will implement it. And let's get back to the work at hand. We're in your office, uh, and perhaps we can discuss some of the challenges you or your successor will face in this uh, particular position as Chief Minister in Guernsey. COVID-19, we're, we're far from, you know, the end of this global pandemic, in fact. You know, are we even in the middle of it? Who knows? Um, what are the priorities for Guernsey moving forward, do you think? What, what has Guernsey got to do? Yeah, I think anybody who occupies um, this office uh, inevitably, and, and indeed any senior political office, uh, has a mixture of, of roles which is responding and reacting to those events which... Uh, which which happen and are unpredicted and 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 uh, of course, in my term in the last four years, Brexit and COVID have you know fallen into that camp. They were not part of the um, they weren't on the radar screen when I was first elected to the role. Uh, and then of course there is dealing with um, all the other issues that, that the island faces. I think in the next term um, the response to the impact of of COVID is going to be a key priority for. Uh, the next state. So the Revive and Thrive strategy, delivering that as in, into the action plans and implementing those, I think must be um, the, the top priority for the island. But I think for what really excites me about the, that is that for the first time there's a realisation that the economy, um, the, the health 
uh, policy and, and community impact and environmental uh, impacts have been recognised as all being intimately intertwined and interrelated. And I think that will really help in better informed policy making by recognising that you're not dealing with them, in, if you like, in separate intrays, yeah. but recognising that they are all inter interrelated. And I think that's, that, that uh, is, is perhaps the most exciting part of this uh, recovery programme. Yeah, uh, leading on from that then, yeah. um, obviously the island faces uh, a huge challenge in terms of how it recovers from COVID. What's your assessment on the financial damage, the economic damage to Guernsey and, and that it's sustained? Because the island's followed a very different path to the rest of the world. We have. I mean, at the moment, our assessment is, uh, well, our original assessment was we expected the economy to contract by about 9% this year. Um, our most recent assessment is we probably think it will contract by nearer 5 to 6%, so considerably better outcome than we, than we feared. We originally estimated it would be costing about, 190 to 200 million in lost revenue and increased expenditure in other words of the, the impact on the budget deficit this year of around 190 to 200 million we're currently thinking that's probably more likely to be about 150 million so the outcome is considerably better than uh, than we had at one time feared and was partly the the, the strategy um, in relation to the borders we believe that that's led to an additional 100 million of domestic consumption the fact that people have been on island through the summer has led them to be spending more in, in shops and restaurants and staycations and new boats and houses and all the rest of it. Um, so that's a significant uh, expenditure that, that wasn't originally budgeted for. So uh, we are in a better position, but nonetheless, the numbers are extraordinarily large. To have a, a hole in your budget of £150 million in a single year is beyond the scale of anyone's previous imagination. Which is why the you know, any debate about um, th uh, thinking that we can either tax our way out of this, or indeed cut our way out of this, is is just missing the mark completely. The, the scale is too large. It would be totally the wrong policy response. The only way we can fill that gap is there are only two ways to fill it. One is selling down assets we have, uh, and using those assets to to fund that gap. Or the second way is is to borrow, um, and to fill that gap. And and obviously we're doing that in the short term with the revolving credit facility. Yeah. Um, but the the question is, is is whether that remains appropriate for the for the medium term. And I suppose it depends on the the, the severity and the length of the recession that that Guernsey might face, and that at the moment is is an unknown. Absolutely, and that will depend, of course, as much as anything else on what is happening outside the island. Um, I, all the more recent indicators are that since we've moved into phase five in June, actually the recovery has been very strong. So the loss of, of uh, GDP in the first and second quarter as a result of the lockdown has been uh, more than replaced by the, the growth, or not been more than replaced, but it, it's, it's, we, we've had a very strong V-shaped bounce back in, in, in economic terms, but that output, if you like, has been lost for the year. So, but I think we go, provided we don't go into any kind of second lockdown here or, or um, restricted economy, uh, we, we, we are very well positioned to go into 2021 in a strong, in a strong recovery mode. It's a hypothetical question, and as a journalist, you're never told to ask what ifs. But let's say in in ten years' time, you you know you look back at, at the way that you personally have handled this pandemic as chief minister, which is probably arguably the biggest challenge any chief ministers faced in the role. Um, how do you think you'll reflect on on how you've risen to that? 
I've always been very clear that the reality is, is our decisions will only can only ever really be judged in hindsight with the benefit of hindsight, uh, and no doubt people will go back and and look look uh, at the decisions and say, well, if that had been decided differently at a different time, then we would have had a different outcome. Um, that will be for others to do, um, and it, it won't be a particularly creative uh, use of my time I suspect at that point uh, I mean all I will say is that it has been you know the most extraordinary experience for all of us um, living through this period of our social history for me personally it is you know it has been uh, the most stressful role I've, I've, I've ever undertaken but it's also been the most enormous privilege to um, uh, and and this may sound odd but I do consider myself very lucky to have um, been the person who happened to be sitting in this office at this time uh, and to be able to provide a leadership role uh, at a time um, of, the, of this this period in the island's history. Um, and, and so uh, that will, will be what I take away from this, um, irrespective of how others uh, eventually interpret our decisions. Captain Pierre, thank you. Thank you. Finally, let's hear from the Vice Chair of Guernsey's Institute of Directors, Wendy Dorry. The group's members were surveyed on their election priorities at a recent midterm event to help give candidates a steer on what's important to them. If we were to summarise the main theme in three words, it would be sustainable economic growth. And that doesn't mean focusing on the economy at the expense of all else. It recognises that there are three key and really interconnected pillars, which are the economy, society and the environment. And generating sustainable economic growth is essential because this will be the enabler for investment into the environment and social policy without placing an extra burden on the taxpayer. Do you think those three would have been um, at the top of the priorities list had it not been for COVID? Or do you think they're just as relevant regardless? I think that's a really interesting question. Without doubt, I think the the COVID-19 crisis has really given people a chance to pause and reflect. I think more than ever, we can see how interconnected everything is and how we need a balance. And that's a balance in terms of nature, you know, in terms of public health, but just in terms that the economy is not in a bubble on its own. There is a duty of care almost, I think, for the business community to to, to where it's operating. Um, and I think this is actually more than ever reflected in our in our member feedback, where also there was a, one of the other survey results showed that uh, our members rated impact on the broader society and actually uh, ESG factors above impact on themselves and their own businesses. So you can see there's a real altruism that is is emerging within the business community. So let's touch on um, some of the particular policy areas. Um, Top of the list looks to be air and sea links. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about why uh, your members have sort of highlighted that? Yeah, one of the, I think that there were two two key policy areas, which, as you say, were air and sea links and digital connectivity. And I think this is probably unsurprising, given the radical changes to both working practices and travel caused by COVID-19. And it's interesting, I'll refer to the, the keynote speech that was delivered by Natalie Duresko, who was, um, she was finance minister of Ukraine, and she's now restructuring Puerto Rico's government debt. And she, she herself talked about the importance of both digital connectivity but also transport connectivity because we are an island just like Puerto Rico and and we're also an international finance centre and transport links are absolutely key in terms of benefiting the economy, the trade 
for health and for society. So we are, we're, although we're an island, we can't be on our own in isolation. It's, it's key that we are linked to the rest of the world and we have the ability to travel where we need to. Um, and, and the second point around digital connectivity is very much homeworking has become a key feature now of everyone's lives. And there, there is a need to make sure that we have digital infrastructure that can support that on an ongoing basis. And interestingly, in Puerto Rico, um, the government there have actually made the decision to roll broadband out across the entire island so that everyone has access to broadband. And that means that they can be delivered telehealth. Um, so healthcare is actually delivered electronically in Puerto Rico, um, given the lockdown restrictions. And also it's seen as, a, as actually a real leveler. It's leveled up society in Puerto Rico because everyone has access to the same broadband functionality. And the private sector weren't prepared to fully fund it because it wasn't gonna be fully profitable. So the government there made the decision that they would invest as well to make sure that everybody had access to broadband. Um, and I understand that broadband and, and fibre rollout is a key priority um, of the states, and I hope that will continue into the next term because Guernsey has to remain competitive and this is a key feature of being competitive. Are you hopeful that that will be the case and that those words will turn into action with the current list of candidates that we've uh, we've got presented to us? Well, another a key theme that came out from the, the midterm event was the importance of trust. And there was a feeling amongst um, the panellists, actually, that probably there wasn't as much trust as there could have been in, in, in the current states. And I think that leads to, obviously, breakdown then in, in relationships sometimes and, and no progress. Um, and I think everyone's very keen to see a constructive mindset in the new states uh, where people do trust each other and people are prepared to work together and almost not be as polarised because I think there's been a fair amount of polarisation, you know, within certain key topics. And I think what we need to see is an ability to compromise and find a ground somewhere where we can move forwards rather than just go around in circles. Yeah, because um, the machinery of governance is obviously one of the areas that your members highlighted as well. Um, and obviously the first year of uh, island-wide voting in its current format. Um, how do you think island-wide voting will either help or hinder the hopes of the IOD members? I think because this is the first time island-wide voting has actually taken place, it's very much an unknown unknown. So we would hope that if you remain optimistic, which I'm an optimist, we would hope that there will be, um, that hopefully there, there are people, there are like-minded individuals and that you've seen coalitions emerge um, with a number of sort of semi-parties emerging. And you would hope that the, the, the fact that this has happened is a recognition that we need people that are willing to sort of work together to deliver um, in the new term. And I think there is a recognition. I think Lyndon Trott actually was quoted as saying in one of our breakfasts that this has been the most indecisive states he's ever seen in four terms. So there's a recognition of that issue. And I think what, what's got to happen is, is everyone has to work together um, within the states to make sure that, that we're moving forwards. Um, talking about machinery of government and governance practices in general, there was also feedback from our members that they would like to see improvement in the capital spend process. And I think that has seen has been seen by our members to, to maybe have not been as, as efficient as it could be. Um, and we would like to see uh, a strong focus on allocating capital spend efficiently and effectively in the new term. And that may or may not involve development corporations or public private initiatives to really help deliver some of these initiatives with, with expertise from the private sector and, and the public sector. 
And with the um, election priorities as you're presenting them, um, are they purely um, just to give candidates a, a steer in the right direction or are you going to work with the candidates who get elected to try and uh, make sure these targets are met? There is a plan actually for the G4, so that's Chamber of Commerce, IOD and the CIPD to, to have an event post-election where we will do exactly what you're talking about. We, we will um, talk to all the new deputies and, and tell them what the key priorities are for our members, what the key concerns are, so that pretty much within the first few weeks of being elected um, in, into, into their seats, they will have a clear understanding of what the business issues are um, and key policy areas that we would like to see focused on. And just finally, t- tell me a little bit about um, the the consequences or the uh, perceived consequences for work of uh, potential changes to the status quo. Um, it's one of the uh, details in your infographic, and um, it talks about how without change, uh, businesses may struggle. Yes, yeah, so that I think this is quite an important statistic, where nearly three quarters of our members stated they need to see a change in in current government policy and without change they predict that their business may either struggle or fail. So I think there has been a perceived lack of flexibility, um, for example, around um, population policy, where it needs to be really acting as an enabler for the economy in Guernsey as opposed to a handbrake. And there, there are issues um, which we are in constant dialogue with government about that need to be addressed to really help Guernsey move forwards um, and grow, because without investment in the economy, without you know, revisiting policies that are seen to be acting as handbrakes, then it will slow the progress. So we're very keen to see change. And actually, we quoted Sun Tzu from the art of war, from change comes opportunity. And the current crisis has created an opportunity for real leadership. Um, But the window will close quickly. So we need to act now. And I think there's a real urgency in in the need to act now. I think doing nothing probably is no longer an option. And I think doing nothing potentially is higher risk than doing something. And I think another key point that I haven't touched on is infrastructure investment. And all our members were very keen to see real positive progress on infrastructure investment. And there's a very interesting statistic from the CBI that says for every pound you invest in infrastructure, you tend to get three pounds back. So we're talking about economic multipliers, which are absolutely critical to securing Guernsey's future. Our members think that infrastructure investor is is a cornerstone of that. Well, Wendy Dorrit, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining the Guernsey Daily. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Episode three and four of our audio manifestos are available for you to listen to. You can find it in the same place you found this episode of the Guernsey Daily. Remember, the full list of candidates is available on election2020.gg. To get in touch with the show, find us on Twitter at Guernsey Daily or email the Guernsey Daily at gmail.com. You can also hear us on Guernsey Community Radio, who we're proud to be partnered with. Goodbye for now. See ya.